Take your Bible and turn to the New Testament to Matthew. We'll go to the fifth chapter, Matthew chapter 5, a very familiar passage if you are well-versed in study of Scripture. If you are new to your Bible as you study and grow, this will become a very important pillar of your understanding and of your faith. And this series that God's given us on authentic Christianity, it continues today. I don't know where the Lord will have us end that thought process as we search Scripture, but I do have a few more points to make here, especially in the New Testament. We'll transition into the Gospels, especially this area here of Matthew 5. I'd imagine we'll be here in the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, for a couple of weeks We're going to really tear apart some of the truth here. And today, my heart is to give you an overview of what it is we're about to dive into. We've done a lot in the Old Testament. We've talked a lot uh, about what God had for the Christian and authentic faith in Psalms 119. There was a lot of description of God's word there. We talked about Romans 12, the living sacrifice. Now we're going to go into the Gospels and really focus on what Jesus said. Uh, These words, as you will see if you have a red letter edition of your Bible, most of what we will read today and in the coming weeks is in red. These are the words of Jesus. So as we transition into the Gospels for Jesus' uh, description of authentic faith, I want us to have really a 10,000-foot view of what's happening here on this mountain. This is an incredible incredible story. The context on what's happening here will literally change history forever. These are very familiar passages, as I said, but there is so much here. We could spend the rest of 2021 and 2022 just tearing apart the truth of these verses. But let's go to Matthew 5, verse number 1. We'll read, we'll pray, and then we'll get into our text. Matthew 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse number 10, blessed are they which persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse number 11 Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, as we come back into your presence, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the truth that we're about to ingest. Father, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross. Lord, that you would empty me of self. And God, use me as an instrument, a tool to communicate the word as you see fit. God, I pray that these truths would penetrate our hearts. God, that we would leave here today different than the way we came. 
Lord, only the word of God can do that. There's nothing in my ability or my capability today that can change a life. But Father, I know and I claim the truth, the promise that the Holy Spirit of God can change a man's life. And Lord, today by your word, we ask you to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. Matthew chapter five, if you are a student of the word, this is a very, very familiar passage to you. It's a very important passage. And there's one word I want you to notice. It'll be the focus of our study today. This word you'll see multiple times in these first 11 verses, but it's the first word blessed. I want you to underline, highlight, or circle. If you do that in your Bible, as you read through these, you'll find that uh, this word blessed is used all the way down through the uh, 11th verse. These are the Beatitudes. And I want us to, again, have an overview of what's happening here and understanding so that as we go forward and explore these Beatitudes, that you have the groundwork set, that you can understand exactly what it is that Jesus is teaching and what he is saying. When I step back, we're on this flight together. We're on this 10,000 foot view of the Mount of Beatitudes Jesus is teaching and I take everything into context that's happening. The first thing you must know that Jesus is mentioning that he is preaching about is a word that is very popular. It's very sought after each and every one of us, I think can say that we even look for this on a daily basis. And that word is happiness. Happiness, Jesus here in this opening a segment of his message, this first recorded message that we have access to as he begins his ministry, the focus that Jesus is pointing us to is happiness. Happiness. It's very important that we understand that Jesus was concerned with real, long-lasting, internal happiness. And it's where Jesus began teaching as it pertains to what we're studying together, authentic Christianity. We must take that into consideration, that Jesus is speaking of happiness. And really, it's one of the saddest things in the world that not everyone knows that there is this certainty of happiness in Jesus. Even more sad is that there are people within the kingdom of God who are saved and born again who do not partake of this happiness that Jesus was speaking of, that he was preaching about. And this becomes very evident in this first part of Matthew chapter 5, this Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and we have it here on record as Jesus preaches. But why am I using the word happiness? Where you can go to find happiness is in this word blessed. Blessed. Understand that this word blessed means that exactly. It means happy. It's the root of what Jesus was talking about. It's the root of contentment internally. That's exactly what Jesus was preaching about. Happiness as it pertains to men and women. The God of this universe, his son Jesus is there on that mountain. And the first thing he wants to talk about in this most famous sermon is happiness. Happiness. Blessed are they. Happy are they. This is our best description of this word, blessed. If you want to break it down, the Greek word there is makarios. This is a very familiar word. It's an adjective. 
It appears nine times here in the first part of Matthew chapter five, but it also appears in one form or another over 50 times in the New Testament. In other words, a lot of what the New Testament was pointing to through the teaching of Jesus and through the teaching of what the apostle Paul especially writes about points back to the happiness that God gives his children. And this is our best description of this word blessed. So what we're talking about here, this happiness, this blessed is internal contentment. We're talking about satisfaction. We're talking about what we tend to call in culture happiness. But this happiness is inward happiness. This is an internal condition of bliss. And this means by definition, with it being internal, that it cannot be affected, manipulated, or changed by outside sources. There's nothing outside that can make that happiness, contentment, and satisfaction change. That's exactly what Jesus is preaching here in this passage. The real definition of happiness, internal happiness and satisfaction. If I may... I'd like to poll the congregation today. And if you're watching online and you're watching on a platform where you can comment, you can either put an emoji up for your hand or you can put, yes, I want to be happy. But who here in the sanctuary, raise your hand if you truly, don't answer if you don't want to, but if you truly want to be happy, would you raise your hand if you really want to be happy? Almost everybody. If you don't want to be happy, you probably won't get a Christmas gift from anybody this year. You just save them a lot of money. But everybody wants to be happy. Everybody is looking for happiness. Everybody wants happiness. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're white, black, Asian, Hispanic. If you speak Spanish, if you speak French, if you speak English, no matter where you come from and who you are, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be happy in their job. Everybody wants to be happy with the amount of money that they make. Everybody wants to be happy about the way they look in the mirror. Everybody wants to be happy about the way they feel about themselves. People want to be happy. And not only do they want to be happy, but people want you to perceive them as happy people. We want to project happiness. We want to project contentment. If we project that there's dissatisfaction in our lives, then maybe we just don't have it all figured out. It's part of human nature that I am happy. I've got it all together. I am content. I am satisfied no matter where I live, what I do. I want to be happy. That's part of human nature. One of the greatest ways to see this is you can log on to Facebook or Instagram and you will see the source of what people identify in their life that makes them happy. Nine times out of 10, it's not a sad day or a laundry basket full of laundry that needs to be cleaned and washed and folded and put up. It's, oh, look at this beautiful, whatever you want to put there. Turkey out of the oven, Christmas tree, presents that are wrapped. Those are wonderful things. And it's a great tool for Christians to say, God, thank you for my blessing. Every good thing comes from you. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. But if you'll look at human nature, the point is everyone wants to be happy. 
Everybody in here, almost everyone in here, raise their hand that they want to be happy. Most people in this world want to be happy and most people in this world experience a little bit of happiness. And that usually comes when they have internal emotions that are in the positive. Something good happens. A bank account says uh, that it has more in it than you expected and that makes you happy. The Alabama Roll Tide football team wins in four overtimes and for just a brief moment before the SEC championship, that makes me happy. Amen. I wondered where that was going to go. Happiness. But look at what I just pointed out, the football game that was won, the extra money from your boss. These are momentary, fast flashes of happiness that at the end of the day, at best, are whimsical and will probably never happen in the same way that you experienced it this time again. That's part of our life this type of happiness that Jesus is speaking of is the polar opposite. It is not whimsical. It is not a happenstance. It is not a chance. The type of happiness that Jesus is preaching about, that he is teaching about, is a continual, if you're making notes, this is where you want to be writing. Jesus is talking about happiness that is continual. He's talking about a constant state of contentment, a state of even bliss, that there is bliss, happiness, ecstasy in life, and a state of blessedness, that I am truly content from what God has done. This is the internal well-being of a soul where a person finds satisfaction and fulfillment. That is the polar opposite of the happiness that the world offers men. This is the type of happiness, though, that Jesus was speaking about. True contentment that is long-lasting that never ends. Uh, know this, Jesus is also talking about this word, happiness, blessed, contentment, satisfaction, as to be an indicator of character. It's indicative of character. In other words, these are the qualities of an individual. It, it's directly linked to a person. Uh, this word, blessed, happiness, satisfaction, contentment. This word, makarios, can only be designated to speak about believers. We've got to get that very clear on the outset of this message and what's coming in the coming weeks. What's happening here, what Jesus is preaching about, what he is speaking about, this happiness, this blessedness applies only to people who are believers. It's connected to true believers. It's connected to authentic faith, authentic Christianity. And you must understand that here and now that this pertains to Christians. Nowhere in scripture will you find that word, that verb, that adjective, makarios and everything that goes with it, the happiness, the blessedness. Nowhere in scripture will you find that adjective describing lost people. Never. In the Old Testament, you'll never find that equivalent describing people who were not the children of God. This happiness, this contentment, this satisfaction only belongs to those who love God and whom God knows. This is a very exclusive benefit package of those who believe. This belongs to people of authentic 
faith, who embrace the tenets of authentic Christendom, who follow Jesus, who love him and who obey him. This is a character. This is a quality that does not and cannot belong to someone who is lost, someone who is undone without God. The biblical description of this word blessed is a permanent, permanent state of happiness. This is true bliss and contentment in God, satisfaction and fulfillment that belongs only to those who know God and whom God knows. Now, what you must know about this, it's vital for you to understand this as we go forward because this is where the intersection is where people will get lost in translation. You have to understand what's happening here and what Jesus is talking about. What Jesus is referring to, this happiness, this contentment, this satisfaction, is part of the divine nature of who God is. This is part of the divine nature of who God is. In other words, there's nothing inside Winston Parish that can replicate the happiness, satisfaction, and contentment that Jesus was preaching about on this mountain. I have nothing inside of me that can recreate this. This is part of divine nature. Let me explain further through scripture. This is part of even how God describes himself in scripture. Psalm 72, 18 says this, blessed be, there it is again, blessed be the Lord God. God is saying that that's part of his nature. He is this word. He is Makarios. This is who God is. So in nature, naturally, God being who he is, is happy. Your God is a happy God. Your God is a content God. He is a satisfied God. It's part of his nature. Now look on in Psalm 68, 35. Oh God, thou art terrible out of thy holy places. The God of Israel is he that giveth strength and power unto his people. There it is again. Blessed be God. Psalm 119, the 12th verse, blessed art thou, O Lord. This is part of the nature of who God is. What Jesus is speaking about on this hill that is still relevant to every man, woman, boy, and girl over 2,000 years later is that this happiness belongs to you and it belongs to me, but it is not of ourselves. It is part of the divine nature of who God is. 1 Timothy 1, the 11th verse, look what it says. According to the glorious gospel, and look how he describes this, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And so as we read these scriptures, we see that God by nature is happy. God is content, and it is part of his divine nature. Now, if I was to leave that there, Heath, really, if I was to take the divine nature of God and I set it there, there it is, the divine nature of God. It's wonderful, it's beautiful, it's powerful, it's overwhelming. But here's the best news, my favorite verse of this entire message. Here is the divine nature of God that represents contentment, happiness, and satisfaction. Now, I'm not God. I don't have a way to be God. I can't be God, only God can be God. So here's his divine nature, that, that's where the contentment is, that's where the happiness is. That's where the satisfaction is. Now, take your Bible and turn to 2 Peter 1, 4. 
2 Peter 1, 4. Look what this verse says. Whereby are given unto us exceeding and great precious promises, that by these ye might be, read that, those next words with me, partakers in the divine nature. Read it again. Partakers in the divine nature. Say it one more time. I only need 100%. Partakers in the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is the world through lust. The Bible says clearly that those that belong to God through them by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ are partakers in the divine nature of your creator. That is powerful scripture that we must all hide deep in the recesses of our hearts and in our conscience. That we are partakers in the divine nature of who God is. Now, let's hit the brakes really fast. Does this mean that I am a mini God or that God is me and I am God? Absolutely no. That does not mean that God is you and you are God. We are partakers as sons and daughters through the applicable blood of Jesus Christ to our lives. We are saved, we're indwelled by the Holy Spirit and that's how through salvation, the regenerated spirit, you then have access to the divine nature. It's not how much money you can give to the church. It's not how many candles you can light. It's not how good of a person you can be. It's all about that you are saved, born again and that there's a new man living on the inside. That's why you should always take issue when someone stands in the pulpit or gets on social media and says that being a Christian really doesn't change who you are. That's not being a Christian then. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new, a new man. And then you have access to this divine nature. We are, according to God's word, partakers in the divine nature of who God is. Now, by partaking in that divine nature, our happiness, our contentment, what we find stability in, what we find strength in, the thing that satisfies us must then come from where? The divine nature of who God is and not in how much is in our bank account and not how much you will have to retire on and not the size of your house, nor the brand of car you drive, nor the clothes that you're wearing. It has to do with the divine nature of who God is. So if I belong to him, I'm a partaker in this. I get my satisfaction. I get my happiness, my blessedness. It all comes from him. It cannot be manipulated by an outside force. Praise the Lord. What does that mean? It means this, that you as a born again, Bible believing Christian can live above the ebb and the flow, the madness, the chaos of this world, tie yourself as hard as you can to the divine nature of a three times holy God and from him find your satisfaction, your contentment and your resolve to live for him every day. This is where you will find your happiness. Not in the stock market, not in a political system, not even what the red, white, and blue represents. Your happiness, your contentment, your satisfaction is found in your God. 
You're a partaker in the divine nature of a divine God. And imagine the grace and the mercy that God would have to bestow upon broken people like Winston Parrish, that he would have access through and by the shed blood of Jesus to be able to partake in the divine nature. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a great God with great power and with great love for you. It's divine. It's hard for our brains to understand it. It's so much our hearts can barely contain it. But it's what the Bible says. You cannot find your happiness outside of who God is. He's your strength when you're tired and you're weak and you can't go on. When you have to go to the funeral home again. When you have to go to the hospital yet again. When the doctor calls again with another bad diagnosis. If your hope, satisfaction, peace, and happiness are in the things of this world, you will live a miserable existence. And if you're saved and on your way to heaven, you do not have to, child of God. You are a partaker in the divine nature of who God really is. And because it belongs to God and because it's God's to give, it's free from manipulation of this world. Nothing can change it. Albert, nothing can change it. Nothing. There is not a piece of legislation. There is not a nuclear weapon. There is not a group of people. There is no element in this world that can change the fact that you can be happy with your God and that he can be happy with you. That's powerful. And when Christians become super defeated and super down and super low and super depressed, what has happened? We've taken our eyes off of the divine nature and we've put our eyes into the ebb and flow of this crazy chaotic life. And then we wind up getting hurt. We put all of our faith, hope and trust in a person that if that person will just be my friend and we can do this and we can do that and have this relationship, then I'll be satisfied. If I can just find the right guy, if I can just find the right girl, if my husband will just do X, Y, and Z, then I'll be happy. It's a revolving door of broken promises and expectations that are never met. If you're looking to your husband to be the source of your internal happiness, he will hurt you and fail you because he's a man. If you're looking to your wife to fill some sort of hole, to be a gap filler that, that is the absolute antithesis of all of your happiness and satisfaction, you are going to set yourself up to be hurt. Is there happiness? Is there satisfaction and love in a marriage? Absolutely. But let me show you what's even more powerful is when the husband and the wife come together and in both of them and in both of their hearts is the idea that they can't find all the happiness, all the satisfaction, all the contentment that they need in each other. So together they go and they find their satisfaction, their peace and contentment, their happiness in God as a couple. The rest is gravy. Just the benefit of being alive and having someone to love you and for you to love them back. Just the same way with your children, any relationship, your job, even the way you view your pastor. If your happiness, your contentment in your walk of faith is directly tied to whether you're sitting in a blue chair or watching online today, you're missing the mark. This is not it. That is not it. 
It's in the divine nature of your creator. It's so much more than this. This is the extra. This is the cheeseburger with bacon. God has been good to his people. And if you're looking, if you're searching, and in the holiday season especially, so much of this comes up. So many people are supposed to be sitting at tables that they weren't at on Thanksgiving. There were chairs that were supposed to be filled. There'll be people missing at Christmas that if I could, I want them there. But you know what is such a blessing is the people that were not there in my life. They all would point back to this truth. That honey, your happiness and contentment in this life can't depend on whether your grandmama, your granddaddy, your mama and your daddy are alive. It's more than that. Does my heart break? Yes. Does it hurt? Yes. But I can still be happy. I can still find great contentment because my God has not changed. I didn't have to go see Jesus in Green Hills. He was there in my home when I woke up this morning. The Holy Spirit of God was greeting me with more grace and with more mercy. And in that, I can find my contentment and my happiness. For pastors and ministry workers, Brother Earl, I've thought about you so much this week. So many times our ministry is equated by how many people are there, how many people came, how much money has been given. But you know what? Even in ministry, as we serve the Lord, as we preach the word, those measures are not where I can find my contentment and my happiness. My contentment and my happiness as a pastor is to preach the word of God and see the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit change lives forever. That's another part of the divine nature of who God is. And when Christians take their eyes off what matters and put so much focus and so much energy into finding happiness in things that will break, that will fade, that eventually will burn up, you're going to miss the mark. And you don't have to live that way. It's part of who Jesus is and this happiness that he was preaching about on the Sermon on the Mount, the Mount of Beatitudes. The world will always define happiness as things that can be touched. There will always be some sort of numeric value on what the world sees as happiness. So much of it's tied to money. How much money do I have? How much money do I have access to? Who knows that I have the money? That's a lot of the culture of the day. And it's so much of how the world sees happiness or defines happiness. A Puritan writer named Thomas Watson, it's a bit of a lengthy quote, but stay with it. It'll bless your heart. Things of this world will no more keep out trouble of spirit than a piece of paper will stop a bullet. Worldly delights are winged. They may be compared to a flock of birds in the garden that stay a little while, but when you come near to them, they take their flight. 
So riches make themselves wings. They fly away as eagles. They're like the meteor that blazes, but spins and annihilates itself. They're like a castle made of snow lying under the torrid beams of the sun. The point he was making is that external things do not bring permanent comfort to the soul. There's nothing in this world you'll be able to find that'll replace what Jesus was preaching about in Matthew chapter 5. Nothing. Some of the richest people on the planet are the most sad, desperately hopeless people on the planet. And for us as Christians, God has given to us an opportunity to enjoy this life on this earth before we get home. This isn't our home, church. If your anchors are set here, you're missing it. Our passport says heaven, issued by God with no expiration date. This is not home. But he said, while you're here, while you're waiting, you can still be happy. Isn't it incredible, Brother Earl, that Jesus concerned himself with the happiness of his people? He cares that you're happy. He cares that you're content. And he wants you to find it in him. The last thing we'll mention, I want us to, we'll come back to some of this context about redemptive history and what is happening here. Jesus, as he is speaking, he is literally changing history, how people will come to salvation, how the sacrifice will be, all of that's changing right here. We'll come back to that. But there's one thing I want to mention about the end of this thought. It's in verse 13 and 14. Let me read the verse and then we'll back up for just a second. You are the salt of the earth. This is verse 13, Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under foot of men. Verse number 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. We talked about this at the very beginning of authentic Christianity. So we began this series that my purpose for existence in this life is to bring honor and to bring glory to God. That's my chief end. That's my purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's what we said in that message. So if my purpose in life, my whole reason Noah of being here, my whole point of existence is to glorify God, then that means that at the end of the day that my happiness and my contentment and my blessed life isn't about me. It's not about me. My contentment, my satisfaction isn't about me. My contentment and my satisfaction is to bring glory to God that I would appear different than the world, that in Christ I offer a glimpse of contrast 
to what the world is. And when you are saved and the new man enters, the regenerated spirit does what it does. You are set free from the bondage of chains and sin. Then the new man's alive and he's working and he's doing and Jesus, his truths become more real than ever. And all of this happens in this one fell swoop of salvation. And then Jesus said, you're salt and you're light. The point of me being happy the point of me being content, the antithesis of my satisfaction isn't for me and how I feel, Miss Debbie. It's for the glory of God and that others would see just a glimpse of something that's different in me because of what he did. That's satisfaction. That's happiness. That's internal peace that only can come from God. And when that happens, so many things change. My emotions change. The way I respond to people, my convictions, my preferences, my perception of life, even my understanding, just because it's a happy life, content and blessed, does not mean that there's not bad days. There's still pain. There's still sorrow. There's still broken hearts. But what God is offering you is happiness, contentment, and satisfaction that's above the ebb and flow of that heartbreak, of that pain, of that disappointment. It's great happiness. It's great love. And it's great peace that only can come from God. And so today as we close out this thought, as we understand our job, our duty, our privilege is to be a representative of Christ to a lost and dying world. And through that, through our happiness, satisfaction, and contentment that others would come to Christ for His glory. Then let me ask you this. What makes you happy? What makes you happy? What makes you the most satisfied? What is it? Answer internally. Don't answer for your wife, your husband, the teenagers around you. Everyone take that thought for just a moment. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to show you what truly makes you happy. What's your satisfaction? What's the factor? What controls whether you've had a good week or a bad week? What makes you happy? If you're here today and you're a Christian, this is a great opportunity for you to refocus your eyes and your heart and say, God, through the divine nature of who you are, for what's available for me, I want to find my satisfaction in you. I want to be happy in you. No matter what comes in this life, I simply want to wake up, look into the heaven, know that you're there, know that you love me and say, oh, what a blessing, what a joy. I can be happy. God is and all is well. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you have taken your eyes off of that and you've let money become the definition of happiness, if you've let more time off from work become that defining factor of what's gonna satisfy your year, if it's a stock account if it's a baseball team, whatever you wanna put in there, if your source of happiness and contentment is not found in the person of Jesus Christ, this 
is the day to change that perception. Enjoy your salvation. Be happy. You're on your way to heaven. You'll never know what it is to be separated from God. You'll never feel hell's flames. You'll never know the darkness of that separation. You'll never have to wake up and not have the Holy Spirit of God. We can be happy. We can be satisfied. And if you're here today and you're lost and you know and God knows that you need to be saved, this is the day. Do not let pride come in the way of what you know needs to happen. Surrender to the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. Call on His name. Believe. Be saved. And let Jesus bring you real happiness, real peace, real joy, and real eternal life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. In a moment, we'll thank the Lord for this. We'll thank Him for the truth of His Word. But before we do that, I want to take a moment and allow everyone here, everyone watching online to take a moment. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Facebook, if you're on the website, if you're watching this later in the archives, take a moment right now and ask God to put some things in your mind now that have robbed Him of His glory, that have robbed you of true happiness and contentment in Him. And ask Him to change that. Commit to find that happiness and contentment in Him. Is there anybody here under the sound of my voice that could say, Pastor, I'm not saved. I'm not sure if I'm saved. Would you pray for me today? I want to be happy. I want that satisfaction that only God can bring. I want to be a partaker in the divine nature. I'd never want to know what it is to experience separation from God in hell for eternity. Pray for me. No one's gonna come to you. No one's gonna embarrass you. But would you just raise your hand so we can know how to pray for you? I wanna ask God to move and to stir your heart. Our pastors are coming to the altar now. We're going to have a season of prayer. Anyone, would you raise your hand? I'm not saved. I'm not sure I'm saved. Pray for me. Is there a Christian that say, Pastor, I've taken my eyes off of the things that really matter. I've put happiness measured in the things of this world. Today, I want to put my eyes back on Jesus. Would you raise your hand? Just say, I'm praying today, asking God. I see your hand. God bless you. Hands all over the building. Let's do this. Let's open the altar. If you need to come pray, you come. Let's stand all over the building. Brother Doug's going to sing a verse. You come do business with God. These altars are for you. You come and pray. Follow the Lord. Thank you for being with us this morning. We really do count it a privilege. You know, that message really hit home to me, and I hope it stirred your heart as well. You know, the question is, what, what is it that gives you contentment? What is it that gives you happiness? Is it somebody else? Is it your job? Is it a hobby? You know, a lot of those things are temporal. There's nothing wrong with those things that Pastor Winston talked about. But your true happiness comes from the divine nature of knowing the one and only God. I encourage you today. I encourage you today. Know Him as your personal Savior. If you know Him as your Savior and uh, you've strayed away, I encourage you, draw closer to Him today. We look forward to what's going on tonight. We'll see you at 5 o'clock here at Trinity Baptist Church. We have a special 
a very special uh, service tonight. We invite you to be with us. Thank you to our e-church for all that you do, for your giving, for your faithfulness in attending. You are, you are a true uh, blessing to us here at 216 Shelburne Road, and we just love you and thank God for you. We'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock.